Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. I had a um, had an interesting week. I had a conversation with with um, someone, part of our congregation, and and actually had a number of comments and and discussions of the sermon that was last week on meet Melchizedek. Some people loved it. Some people did not love it. Some people were confused by it. Um, so good news is it's recorded. Go back and listen. You'll figure it out. If not, we'll talk more. But we did, I did have a conversation with somebody, young guy this week, very, very good conversation, honest, inquisitive, and yet challenged. Challenged by the fact that what he's hearing in this message is not consistent with what he knows. And I said to him, I'm not surprised that you're challenged. 99% of the church community would be challenged by what we're talking about here. And he said, right. And doesn't that ever make you think that you've got it wrong? And I paused for a moment and thought through it. And of course, of course, standing in this place every Saturday, of course, I always think about what I might have wrong. So I try to approach things humbly, right? And he, I said, you know what? What I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to go home after our conversation. I want you to make a list of the things that you find to be challenging. I want you to write them down, think through them. And when you come to the end of that list, we can discuss, but what I think you'll find is that the majority of those objections are based on 1,900 years of Christian theology. And again, he said, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so, as we move into finally having arrived at a better covenant as the name of the series, Yeshua and the Sacrificial System, a better covenant, we finally come to the place where we're ready to talk about the new covenant and why it is a better covenant. It's important for me to say and give this caveat. No, I don't think I have everything figured out. No, I don't think I know every answer. No, I don't think I have a solid lockdown on truth. However, what I do know, and, and, and let me say, that God speaks in mysterious ways, which is a cliche statement to make, but it's very true. So I made certain as I'm preparing and moving kind of into the home stretch of what we're talking about here. We've been talking about Hebrews now for almost three months. It's a complicated book. It takes time. We're not there yet, but we're coming, moving into the home stretch. So I always want to make sure that I am balancing the perspective because there is a balance in the world, of course. So when I go and I I read and I listen to Christian theologians and sermons and I, I read and study, I do not think that Christian theology is like from the pit of hell and that it's wrong and I, have, I hate it. And I, I love my brothers and sisters in the Christian community who are teaching and raising up disciples for the kingdom of God. I 
support them. I come beside them and we labor together for the glory of God. And I've spent quite a bit of time looking into their perspectives. And the truth of the matter is, we're really like, there is no unanimous opinion in Christian theology that is replacement theology that the Jews are done away with, that Hebrews is, is, is saying, saying horrible things against the Jewish people. But the reality is, it is, at, it is there. It is not a unanimous opinion. And as I said, we have points in common in understanding Hebrews and the language, but there are some majorly, major errors that are being taught. And that is undeniable if you are open to hearing it. That's part of my job, is to be in the middle This particular guy said, well, I guess I'm in the middle. I said, you don't even know what the middle looks like until you've stood right here. Until you've been out there in the world between the Southern Baptist, nothing wrong with it, Southern Baptist, Southern culture, trying to explain why the Torah is relevant, and then talking to your Jewish brothers and sisters and explaining why Yeshua is not only relevant, but, but irreplaceably necessary. You want to talk about the middle, I'll tell you about the middle, and it's hard, but I love it. Because there's always something to say. Extremes are bad. Replacement theology is in the pews and minds of millions upon millions of believers, and they don't even know it. If you ask them, are you a replacement? Oh, I don't even know what replacement theology means. Do you believe that Israel has been replaced by the church? Well, of course not. And then talk to them for another 20 minutes about it. And what will come out is Israel's been replaced by the church. And so, and on the opposite side, you think Messianic Judaism has got it figured out? Well, better, but not better than the church, better than what I'm about to tell you, which is this idea of one law theology, where every Christian is horrible and every Jew and every Gentile needs to be a Jew and everyone should be wearing tzitzit and, you know, acting like Jews. That's also not healthy because that's contrary to the scriptures and the words of Paul. So there are extremes on either side. And yes, we're in the middle and it's okay to be in the middle. We have a job to do. We are a bridge and our job is to live in the middle. And that's really kind of what this is all about. And I do not have the lock on truth, but I'm gonna tell you something. I was gonna go to law school. I'm an arguer. Ask my mom. She always used to tell me when I was young and fighting with her, you should go to law school. So I thought I'd take her seriously. But then I decided, no, I won't. I'll just argue with religious people. That way I'll get paid a lot less for it because that makes sense. I don't think I have a lock on truth, but I'm going to tell you that what we're talking about is not, it makes sense. 
sense. It's logical. And I believe the Word of God should be logical. I believe God made you logical so that you could understand things. Of course there are mysteries. Of course there are things way beyond our comprehension. Isaiah 55, His ways are above our ways. But when we read a book that we should live our lives by, it should make sense and there shouldn't be filled with contradictions and problems. So here we go. Finally, a better covenant. Last week, we talked about Malchitzedek, right? And we talked about a better priesthood, and we talked about a more excellent ministry. Chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Hebrews. And, and that takes us now into chapter 8. Somebody let me borrow. Who has a New American Standard or English Standard version? Anyone? Even a King James, who's got a Bible? Can I borrow this? Thank you. It, as, if it was the message, it would be great. Oh, this one's too Jewish. <laughs> that one's too Jewish. Let's see this. What do you got, Tony? Perfect. So, we make our way into Hebrews 8 which is worth listening to. You ready? Most of Hebrews 8 is not original content. What is found in Hebrews 8? Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, which is the new covenant. The Brit Hadashah. Okay? So, here we go. Chapter 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished by God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make, I, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. And that's what we talked about over the last four weeks. A true temple in heaven, a more excellent ministry by the ultimate high priest, Yeshua HaMashiach. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. And how much also is he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come. And then he reads Jeremiah 31. And then it ends with this. In that he said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. Now that which is obsolete and banishing is ready to vanish away. You ready? Thank you, Tony. There are some, there are some punch in the gut doozies 
in what I just read. Now, with the, with the, with the thouest and the theeth and hath and the mayeth, it may have get lost a little bit. But I'll show you some of them. Do we have this? It's not there? Huh? Oh, I... Hmm. Well, let's see. We have chapter 8. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he also is the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. 8.7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. First of all, what we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks is there are a number of places where the translators of Hebrews insert the word covenant. The word covenant is not in the text in these particular places. It matters. It's hard for you to, uh, to follow me. I realize without these slides and for that, I'm sorry. The last one and the big one is the one that we're going to have to focus our attention on because this is the replacement theology, the race, the replacement theology go-to regarding the Torah and the Jewish people. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. We are going to spend time there, not today. Covenant again is, is, is inserted in there. What the new covenant is, is best asked and explained by first off talking about what the new covenant is not. I say this a lot, but it's very true. Especially when what you've been told it is for so many years is not at all what it is. So, let's look. This, this is going to be called the not section of the better than section of the better. So what we're going to call this is the better not section. Translated, you better not read Hebrews this way. First not of today. And I think it's only fair that I should ruffle everyone's feathers. So we're first off going to just hit a messianic stronghold and just take it right down. This is a messianic error as, as well as a church error. You ready? The new covenant is not the new testament. Or the new testament is not the new covenant. Damien... We make an art form in Messianic Judaism out of calling the New Testament the Brit Hadashah. It sounds good. It's Hebrew. It's not so churchy. New Testament. No, let's throw Brit Hadashah in there. Or let's not, call the, let's not call it the New Testament. Let's call it the New Covenant. The New Testament is not the Brit Hadashah. So, are your ears perked up if you've been in Messianic Judaism for longer than two weeks? You've heard someone call it the Brit Hadashah, including myself in a number of messages that span my career. Everybody learns when they teach. The New Covenant is not the New Testament. 
There is another creative interpretation, and I'll tell you more, just stick with me. There's another interpretation, another messianic point. Some people like to refer to the, the, uh, the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, as the renewed covenant, right? Have you ever heard this? That, the, that the, oh, there's the old covenant, and there is the renewed covenant. Why renewed covenant? Well, because when we read about the new covenant, the Torah is all a part of the new covenant. But we're going to say it's not really new because it's still Torah-based. The Torah's in there. So Mosaic covenant, that was a covenant. And now in the new covenant... He's renewing the Mosaic Covenant. Where does this come from? You ready? From the word chadash. Chadash, which is the proper Hebrew for the new covenant. Brit, covenant, chadashah, new. Well, this idea of a renewed covenant that Jeremiah speaks of comes from the same concept of chodesh, which is part of chadash, or drawn from chadash. Chodesh means new moon. It means new month, okay? And so this idea comes that, well, the moon is not actually new. It's the same moon. It's just renewed every month. So that's exactly what's going on with the Brit Hadashah. It's a renewed covenant. It's not new, new. Here's the problem. It may be the same moon, but June 2019's moon is a different happening than June 2018's moon. It is the same moon. It's based on the same concept, but it's a different thing entirely. That logic does not work. This is not a renewed covenant. And here's where we can go to find this. All we need to do is look in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of, to bring them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Listen to the language. All you have to do is read it. I'm making a new covenant. It is not like the covenant I made with their fathers. This is not a renewed covenant. It's new. There's something new going on. But actually, there is a renewed covenant. Can anyone tell me where the renewed covenant is found? Sinai. When was the first covenant given? Exodus 19. We can read the language there and and, and Moses is going into all this stuff, and they're saying, we're going to do these things. And he goes up, and he gets the tablets, and what happens while he's up there? Shiny bovine. And he comes down, and what does he have? He has the tablets, and what does he do with them? Psh, breaks them, and therein breaks the covenant. But... What happens next? 
There's forgiveness. There's Yom Kippur. There's Moshe interceding. And there is a renewal of that covenant. If you want a renewed covenant, there it is. What we're talking about is not a renewed covenant. It's brand new. Okay? Now, someone, the New Testament is the New Testament. What that means is, a testament is something that serves as a sign or evidence of a specified fact, event, quality. The New Testament is exactly that. It is the evidence of Yeshua's life, his death, burial, resurrection, his teaching. It is a testimony to the reality of Yeshua. The apostolic scriptures is the appropriate word. Writings of the witnesses uh, who testify to his life. Now, this is semantics, but I have to say it. Because someone is going to point out, whether in this room or somewhere online, someone is going to say, let's look at the Greek, Damien. Okay, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take you all through this big word study. There is a similarity in the word for brit in Hebrew, which is translated over into a Greek word, which means covenant or testament. So it gets in the most legalistic, and I know how we love legalism, right? In the most legalistic way, you could call the New Testament the New Covenant because the Greek word is similar, but it theologically is a very big error. It's a very big error. And here's the real problem. If the New Testament is the New Covenant, then by default, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. Okay? The whole Old Testament, the Tanakh, is therefore the Old Covenant. And by Christian interpretation, the Old Covenant is done away with. It's obsolete, according to Hebrews 8.13. So when we say this is the New Covenant, implicitly we are agreeing somehow, because we know the New replaces the Old, we are implicitly agreeing that the old has been done away with. Because, and I know it sounds like semantics, but, but we need to change this language because we're coming on board with a replacement theology type idea with this. <clears throat> when we refer to the New Testament as the new covenant, when we're, refer, when we're speaking with Christians, we are confirming the mistaken belief that the old things are obsolete and eliminated, irrelevant. After all, who in the world cares about something old when we have something new and fresh? We shouldn't call the New Testament the Brit Chadashah. The New Testament is not the New Covenant. Number two, closely related, the second not. The Old Covenant is not the Old Testament. The Old Covenant is not the Torah. 
How many have ever heard that the Old Covenant represents the Old Testament or the Torah? Anyone ever heard that? Well, it's not. Point three. Just kidding. Very quickly. A covenant is an agreement. We use the word brit. That is the Hebrew for covenant. It's found all over the place. Abraham had a brit. Moses had a brit. Israel, Israel with Moses had a brit. David had a brit. And there is a brit chadashah, a covenant. Covenants, breeds, agreements between men, treaty, alliances, uh, con- continue an ordinance of a monarch to his subjects, agreements and pledges between friendship, an alliance of friendship. It's an agreement. And between God and man, there can be covenants as evidenced by the Tanakh and the system of covenants that undergirds our current faith. So when we talk about the Old Covenant, as Hebrews refers to it, we're speaking of the Mosaic Covenant, right? When Hebrews refers to the Old Covenant, it is referring to the Mosaic Covenant, which is also assumed to be the Torah, the written word of God, the Torah. So the Old is for the Jews, The new is for the Christians. Old is bondage and law and yeah. The new is grace and spirit and freedom. This is where the old covenant comes from. Exodus 19, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my commandments and keep my covenant, if you will obey my commandments and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Are you ready for the covenant? Here it is. That was Exodus 19.3. Here is the statement of the covenant. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. There is the Mosaic covenant. Continuing, stay with me. I will tell you what to do. If you do these things, you'll be my people and I will be your God. Israel said, we will do them and we will be your people and you will be our God. And then what did they do? They did not do them. But God, they remained God's people. God forever was faithful to his side of the covenant, but they did not call him God. There was a breach in the agreement. Now there is a confusing thing that happens here, which I want you to note. 
Exodus 24, so we're five chapters later. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. All the people answered with one voice and said, and here it comes again. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So he says it before, he says it after, and there's this affirmation that we're gonna, we're gonna do our part. And then in verse seven and eight of chapter 24, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said a third time with an addition, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So, I mean, they are, they are all in. We are going to, we're covenanted, God. But Moses says, it says he wrote it in the book of the covenant. Now, there it is. Isn't that the Torah? Like, that's, that's it. That makes sense to me. It's not the Torah. It's not the Torah. He says... Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on all the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The book of the covenant implies that it was here. Here is the Torah written down. This is our covenant. Where does he sprinkle the blood? On the book to seal the covenant, right? No, on the people. He has the book of the covenant which has written down the contingencies of the plan. These are the things you're going to follow as part of our covenant agreement. What is a covenant? It's an agreement. It is not a legal code. God sanctifies the Mosaic covenant like all covenants are sealed by having Moses sprinkle blood on the people, not the book. The Mosaic covenant, the old covenant is what you just heard the people of Israel affirm three times. We are in relationship. Everything you said, we're going to do it. The book describes, the book of the covenant describes the terms in accordance with these words, it says. You will live out the covenant we've made in accordance with these words. Are you with me on that? Or is that confusing to you? It sounds like semantics. It sounds like it, but it's not. It's very important because the basis of the new covenant is the Torah, The entire new covenant is built around God placing his Torah in our hearts and writing it there. If the old covenant is the Torah, it just simply cannot work. If the old covenant is the Torah and it has become obsolete and fading from use, what's the point of a new one? So, we cannot ever refer to the Old Testament as the Old Covenant, or the Torah as the Old Covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Number three, and building on number two. 
The Torah is not faulty. This is the understatement of the year in a Messianic synagogue, maybe of the decade. But let's read Hebrews 8, 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Now, realize, based on what I just said, if the first covenant represents the Torah, then there is a replacement theologian's dream. If the Torah was not faulty, then what occasion was there to find something else to replace it? You see how that interpretation flies? First of all, the word covenant is not even in that text, but we'll get back to that another time. The Torah is not faulty. We have just outlined that the Torah is not the first or the old covenant. But I'm going to let you in on a little surprise. Just because I just sit up here and said that does not change the millions upon millions of opinions that do believe that the old covenant is the Torah and that it is faulty. What does this mean? The if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Well, well, we'll return very briefly to last week where we addressed a very similar idea in Hebrews 7. We were talking about Malchitzedek, right? And we're talking about Yeshua's priesthood. And we have, for on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. We spent time talking about that last week because we needed to. What is that talking about? We, the weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect? We said, oh my goodness, this guy is, is throwing Torah under the bus. No, that's not all what he was referring to, was he? He was referring to the priesthood of Aaron and the Torah commandments that that's the only way a priest could be. He was saying, no, that commandment has been basically set aside in Yeshua because the Aaronic priesthood is weak and useless for taking you into the world to come. That cannot happen through that priesthood. That's what he was saying last week. So now one chapter later, has he now gone back to singing this supposed song about the Torah being despicable and thrown away? That wouldn't make sense. What is he saying? When he says, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Let's, let's continue to read that text. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. That's 8-7. Eight, 8-8. Eight, eight. You're going to have to look this up on your own. For finding fault with them, he says. And then he goes on to read the new covenant. So again, put them together for clarity. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says. What is a covenant? It's an agreement between people, two parties, God and man. Did Israel live up to their end of the covenant? Did they break the agreement? Would it be easy to find fault with Israel when it comes to breaking the covenant? 
Yes. You don't even have to try. It's right there. The Torah is not the old covenant. The Torah is not faulty. Who's faulty? They were and we are. They were and we are. And we cannot escape that. But to say, again, making this plain as day, when you read that and try to go to a place that says, God clearly realized he made a mistake, didn't he? He, he said, you know what, this Torah thing, it's too hard for you. I'm just going to never happen. Let me erase it. Let me start over because I know I'm God, but I do make mistakes. That's how that statement is read in mainstream theology. God, all of a sudden, looked down and realized I've made it too hard for them. There's something I love, and I'll probably talk about it next week, but I was listening to a, a sermon that Daniel Lancaster did. By the way, there's a great book by Daniel Lancaster called What About the New Covenant? I, I would encourage you to read it in addition to this series that we're talking about because it really goes into more depth than I can cover in a, in a, in a message. But he says this thing, where where he's talking about God and the commandments and did God make a mistake? And he says, hmm, gosh, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's tough. I'll tell you what, let's back up. You you shouldn't commit much adultery. How's that? Is that better? Is that more palatable for you? God doesn't make mistakes with his word. And there is no fault to be found in the perfect, divinely spoken word of God that came from heaven. So, that is very, very bad theology to suggest that. So the recap is this. The New Testament is not the new covenant. The new covenant is a part, it contains the amazing story. The New Testament contains Yeshua saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now, interestingly, some translations read that as, this is the blood of the New Testament. Talk about confusing. But this is the blood of the new covenant. So it is, I am no way suggesting that the new covenant is not found within the New Testament. It is. It's where we learn about it. Well, actually, we learn about it in Ezekiel, a number of the prophets, the Torah, actually. But Yeshua inaugurates it in the New Testament. So Yeshua inaugurates the Brit Hadashah, not in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament. The Old Testament is not, I'm sorry, the Old Covenant is not the Old Testament. The Old Covenant is not the Torah. And the Torah is not faulty. Okay? Easy enough. But not, not prevalent thinking. Not prevalent thinking. So here's this conclusion. 
The new covenant is not a renewed covenant. That language also needs to vanish. Now, the word chadash can mean to repair or to renew. It can mean that. So it's not a horrible stretch. We read some, some prayers where we talk about God renewing the creation, and it uses the word chadash. It can mean to repair. But that's not this. The new covenant is not a renewed covenant, right? <clears throat> there is a cycle that required something new. And I also borrow this from Daniel. The sin, I mean the cycle of Israel's sin, which is God makes a covenant with Israel. They say, yes, we'll do it. We like it. We'll be obedient. And they're not. And they fall and they fail. And there's punishment or exile and God sends a redeemer to them. And then what happens? They, they come back, right? Tshuva, they make, they, they repent and they come back and now we're back and Ezra had it and there were all these different times, most prevalent in the judges, but you find it all throughout Israel's history, this pattern of sin, exile, forgiveness, redemption. That's the pattern. And that has been the undergirding of the Bible in Israel's story. Now, this is not the definition of insanity by any stretch of the imagination, but you've heard that cheesy little thing where they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Insanity is a psychiatric disorder. It's a real thing. But that definition works for our illustration. God is not insane by that definition. God is very, very smart. God did not renew the pattern that had taken us up to this point. He has done something brand new. That is the new covenant. Expecting that God could just renew an existing covenant and have it work out differently this time, it's not ever going to happen unless something radical takes place. And where must it take place? Inside. Which is why Ezekiel and Jeremiah are so incredibly powerful to read about what the new covenant really looks like. It's not a renewed covenant. Yeshua raises this cup and he says in Luke 20, the cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That is the transformation of your life as a believer in Yeshua. But here's the last not for today. We are not living in the new covenant. We can call ourselves new covenant believers if you mean, I believe that there's a new covenant coming down the road. Yeshua inaugurated the new covenant. That, what does that mean? 
he announced that it would be a reality. Is it a reality? Two questions, easy answers. Is the Torah written on everyone's heart? Second question. Does anyone still have questions about the Bible? Is anyone still seeking out teaching on the Bible? Or do you just inherently know all the answers? No. Those are new covenant promises in Jeremiah 31. No man will say to his neighbor, teach me, for they will all know. And the Lord will write his Torah on their hearts. That's the, that's the nothing ever like it newness of the new covenant. We're not there. And here's the, here's the real kicker. We're still under the old covenant. Oh, don't say that, Damien. You're going to lose. Everybody's going to leave. They're never going to come back. No one's ever going to listen online. Let me show you something. Do you see this right here? These are the scrolls. These, this is not the book of the covenant. This is the Torah. And within the Torah are certain rules and laws and ways to be in holy relationship with God about like loving your neighbor and not killing people. And yeah, not much adultery. No, none. None. These are the rules for living in right relationship with God. And do you know what? It still doesn't come easy to do them. Every day I struggle in some way to uphold God's requirement for my life to be a true child of God and a disciple of God, to really live perfectly out his ways. I'm not doing it yet, and neither are you. I don't even have to have you tell me if you are, because you, like me, are human made of flesh and blood with a mind, and you are not totally renewed. But you will be. You are being renewed daily and you have this obligation as part of the new covenant, as part of a disciple of Yeshua to apply this word and really be trying even in your own strength. I'll never do anything in my own strength. Yes, you do. When you battle your evil inclination to say no to something that's not of God, that is you. You have to make those decisions. But one day, thank God, by the blood of Yeshua and by the cup that was lifted that said, this is the blood of the new covenant. We will be totally renewed. But Damien, when he said, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is disappearing. The old covenant is obsolete, Hebrews says. Next week, Shabbat Shalom. 
We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening. 